I'd rather sing this as Arnold. When you're weary, feel <laughs> small. When t- <laughs> like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. I could be wrong, but I think Paul Simon is running to court right now to get a cease and desist order. There you go. There's your show, Oprah. <laughs> could be. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it may not be a true opener because it doesn't have... Uh, it, it still needs... La, 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 la. la. <laughs> now we can open. Now it can be the opener. <laughs> Back to the bin. Oh, so I told you about my cat, right? I remember you saying something about the cat, but I don't recall what. Yeah, we had to take the cat to the vet, get it x-rayed. Spent... uh... Here, let me send you this. But wait, there's more. I'll send you this nice photo. Where is the file button? Oh, and just if you ever wanted to add the uh, Star Trek fight music, I do actually have that. That's actually my my ringtone on my phone. Yeah, I know. You were saying that that's what you had for, uh, I guess, for me for a while. And then, uh, all right, where's that? We should just record our own. We are fighting. All right, so you got that. We're fighting. Yeah, we'll just explain it. Cook and Spock are fighting, 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 running around. <laughs> fighting, fighting, running, spot fighting, running, jumping, McCoy giving needle, <laughs> Kroika. Open file. Let's. Oh, what's in there? Are you looking at the side shot? I'm looking at the side shot. All right, let me open it with you. I could see. It looks like he's got like... a. This looks like he's got a string of pearls in his intestine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what those are. Well, okay. What is that, poop? <laughs> yes, that that's exactly what that is. My cat was constipated. He was so constipated, you see that big ball underneath the uh, string of pearls? That, that, that's a, that really big one? Yeah, that's his bladder. He, 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 if you follow the string of pearls out to his ass, it was blocking up his ass and pinched off where he was peeing. So his bladder blew up. The cat couldn't pee anywhere. This was the Tuesday. This was like, no, this was the Wednesday after... We went to Disney, and I'm like, what's wrong with a cat? He he kept trying to pee everywhere, and he wouldn't pee. Then he'd go in a litter box, and he wouldn't do anything. And he lay down, and he's, he's freaking panting. <laughs> you uh, know. What thing? Yeah, I know. So $400 later, we found out the cat was constipated. Literally. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 
you you can see right before the bone there, there's a couple of big pieces, and I guess it was he was blocked up, pinched off the bladder, bladder swelled up, couldn't get any of the poop out past the bladder. Kind of a cool skeletal look, though. Oh yeah, it's yeah. amazing how little skeleton there is. And then they uh, they had to give the cat an enema. It's an enema. Give the cat an enema. <laughs> Stick it in. Come on, push it out. What's wrong with you? He's just yelling at the cat. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> just push. Well, that's kind of what I did because I got up to go to the bathroom in the morning and I'm standing there and, and I look over and the cat is standing next to me facing the same direction trying to pee on a towel. I'm like, what are you? You know, of course, I'm not. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and I kick him. And then I, then I start watching him and he's trying to pee everywhere and he can't do anything. And then I got all worried. And, of course, I go online to Google Oh, well, my my cat can't pee. Your cat is going to die. Oh, is that what it said? <laughs> In so many words, yes. Unbelievable. It, it, it was saying, you know, well, there could be many reasons for this. Uh, the cat could develop a plug in its urethra and uh, due to an infection, and it will basically die in the next few hours if not treated. What? So I'm t- telling my wife, and she's like, God, why do you Google anything? Like, I don't know what to do. So I called one of my friends who has cats, and uh, she basically said the same thing. She's like, it could be nothing, but it could be this, and that was the whole urethra plug. And But it, but if you knew it could be that, couldn't you have given the cat an enema yourself and saved like $400? Oh, yeah. You know what, buddy? It was worth the $400. It's worth doing. I'm not giving a cat an enema. Why not? You're just sticking it in there. Come on, get in there. Stick it in there. Come on, fuck it it's in. Done. Hold it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it probably it, it probably is worth four hundred dollars to not have to do that. Especially when when I went to the vet 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 to pick him up, and they said, "Oh yeah, it came out." It was just a lot of it. I can just imagine, like, you know, $400, Doc, that's a lot. Well, we do run a two-for-one. If you you want, we'll do you as well. Hey, all right. (laughs) Is Uh, is any of this going in the show? I'm not sure. (laughs) We may have extra preamble stuff now. Or you can put it at at, at the end or something. I don't know. (laughs) You've decided to go to a nearby restaurant. You ask the hostess to seat you in a booth. As you sit, you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you. They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school, and yet you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks, weekly at twotruefreaks.com. You bring it in in or am I? Oh, well, la, la, la. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spataro, and I am joined today by my good buddy, who I now have met in person, Dr. Bill Robinson. No, uh, no, that was my clone. That well, was my uh, that was my Arnold Schwarzenegger six day clone. Oh, I, I, then I like him better than you. What? <laughs> what are you gonna do? 
And Scott, once again, is off on assignment. I believe he's out at the comic store looking for a mint copy of Captain Canuck number one. Yes. So that he can rejoin us, because that is his punishment. And today's episode, as have a couple lately, are very gratefully sponsored uh, by some people who generously donated to my cancer walk. Uh, friends of the show, David Pascarella, J. David Weeder, and Tom Panarese, all of whom very generously went onto my website and made donations towards my cancer walk. Uh, I can't tell you guys how much I appreciate it. And anybody else who is interested in donating to this very worthwhile cause, I will be. I will continue to put the link for it in the show notes, as well as uh, occasionally throwing it on the Two True Freaks webpage and the excuse me, the Two Two True Freaks. Facebook page. So if anybody is interested in making a donation for pancreatic cancer research, uh, it is greatly appreciated. And thank you to those three gentlemen who your generosity astounds me. Thank you, guys. So let's stick a promo in here. Okay, okay, it's ready. Yes, yes. It's ready. Let's go. It's ready. Let's yes, go. 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 Talk. Hello. Lovely Leylands. Leylands. Andrew Leyland and Michael Leyland. Michael Leyland is Andrew Leyland's son. He's the younger of the two, so... Yes, I know Michael is the, the, the younger, the son. I, I understand how genetics work. Uh, this is Lord Darkseid. And his good buddy and co-host from uh, Sequest, Clyde. Yes, thank you for informing them that you are there, Clyde. Go sit in the corner. We don't have corners. It's all circular. It's a dome. It's a dome. Architecture. I am here to thank you for the wonderful show that you make. Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics. Yes, on the Two Podcast True Freaks. That has on now the two, two True Freaks Network. Can can you see if Paul Spataro is there and we can say hi to him? No, no, Paul Spataro is not there. Why? So we won't speak to Paul. We are speaking to the Leylands. But I want to say the hi to the Leylands. The Leylands from across the pond, or across the universe for us. Anywho, that's enough, enough. No, it's never enough. I just want to thank you for making a great podcast and apologize that my Christmas special frightened young Michael. Yeah, he's he's we scared him. Boom. Oh, 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 you scared me. Did I, did I do it? I don't know if you scared him, but you got me. Well, I, I don't know. I, you need I to be careful. Anything. I have heart palpitations. But keep on making the wonderful Hey Kids comics podcast and keep on keeping on. You're really going to end with keep on keeping on? Really? You can't you re record that. I don't think that was lame. No, I it don't was... think that was lame. I'm going to leave that in. Lame. Let's, let's push sin. No, don't push sin. That was lame. That was lame. Keep on keeping on is a valid response. It's not a valid response. Goodbye, lovely Leylands. Goodbye. Looking forward to your G.I. Joe episodes. Goodbye. Yo, Joe. And we're back. That was pretty interesting, huh? I it was it's like something I've never heard before. <laughs> uh, that one, I mean, technically that really wasn't a promo. It was a, a voicemail that J. David Weida sent into Hey Kids Comics, but it is just I think it's hilarious. So I, I'm using it as a promo now, and awesome. I hope I hope David and and Andy both uh, actually like that I'm using that and not the traditional commercial that they've made. But what are you going to do? I'm yes. doing the editing, and they're. At my mercy. <laughs> We're going to have to keep barraging them with uh, um, 
promos now. It'll be a promo war. Yeah, we'll just keep You wanted it. war? <laughs> <laughs> they bring a promo. We bring a, a commercial. Yeah. So it, it looks like we have email again. Despite our reading all that email a couple of weeks ago, we have four emails today. Yes, we four. Four. Oh, yes, four. Sorry. Two from Jason, one from Andy, and one from Luke. So why don't we start with, we'll go from the top to the bottom, start with Jason. Yeah, I'll start with 218 first. Uh, I mean, not 218. Wow, look at that, Paul. We just did another 100 episodes. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. Man. <laughs> you want to do the 118? You do 118, I'll do 120. Well, what voice are you going to use? I don't know right now. I'm thinking, I'll think about it while you, do, while you do yours. Yes, and this is from Fanboy Miss Prime. I'm Fanboy Miss Prime, and I bring you an email. And no, I'm not going to keep doing this voice because I'll be coughing by the end of it. <clears throat> hey, guys. Oh, straight in the walking, too. Hey, guys. So the Hulk versus the Thunderbolts. Ah, a classic. And the first two battles the Thunderbolts have with old J-Jaws. The Thunderbolts is a team I've always loved. Well, other than that whole short-lived Fight Club ripoff era that gets ignored. Yeah, that one was strange and never really mentioned. A great issue that had the T-Bolts, it's like T-Backs, I'm ad-libbing folks, sorry, first appear and do what it seems everyone has to do at one point, and that's brawl with the Hulk. The part on fighting Skrulls came way later, and I mean way later, as it wasn't until Secret Invasion they tangled with Skrulls. All right, that's enough of Christopher Walken. I'm (laughs) (laughs) I'm just not feeling it tonight. Okay. You, could, we could, you know, you could always do Arnold. This story being toward the tail end of Pad's run on the Hulk, with the Hulk weakened by losing Bruce Banner, hence why he was able to be hurt, and clearly before Deadpool ran him through with something in their bra and his title around that time. Of course, the reason the Hulk likely was so coherent is likely the Joe Fixit persona was the only thing left in his noggin. <laughs> 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 hey, I just read it the way it's written. Oh, uh, but in the Arnold voice, it's perfect. <laughs> it's like he wrote it in the Arnold voice. <laughs> Thank you for doing that, Jason. Clam, clam. The Suicide Squad take on the Thunderbolts was good. I like that take. The Heroes Reborn Earth ended up as a counter-Earth after the event was over. Though it was the early falls when Doctor Doom ruled as it as a counter-Earth, which was explored a bit in the Thunderbolts book. <laughs> as I've said, I got into comics in the 90s, so that era doesn't bother me at all. And yes, there was a lot of crap made, but it was but it also had good stuff like Mark Wade's Flash Run. Or Fabian, I can't say that word. It's like a foreign language. (laughs) I don't understand. Why don't they speak English like me? Come on, I speak good English. I was the governor, for God's sakes. 
If we're in America, speak American. <laughs> okay. Anyway, all right. All right we're never going to finish this one at this yes. rate. As I've said, I got into comics in the '90s, so that era doesn't bother me at all. And yes, there was a lot of crap made, but it it also had good stuff. Like I feel like I've read this already. What is going on? Like Marvel's Flash Run or Fabian, and I still can't say that. I believe it's Nicieza. Nicieza. It could be Nicieza. I'm not sure, but just go on with it as if we said it right. X Fabian, X Force, and New Warriors or well. Anything by Peter David, such as X, as his X Factor, Supergirl, and his Hulk run, that ran through most of the '90s. Though the Teen Titans Dan Jurgens created in the '90s uh, got screwed over by DC not letting him have any Titan mainstays. Oh, I didn't know that. I, uh, I, I remember uh, hearing something about that because I think uh, well, I, know I think it was that Wolfman was they were looking to get Wolfman to take the original characters or something along those lines, so mm-hmm. they didn't let him use the the main guys. Oh, yeah, that would kind of tie your hands. Uh, you can do the Teen Titans, but you can't actually use any of the Teen Titans <laughs> in the series. Go, no, run, write, run with that. We want you to write Batman, but you can't use a bat in anything. What? <laughs> Until too late with Beast Boy, Changeling, whatever you want to call him. Still a good book I recommend as well. Um, of course, Eric Larson also has come out of the 90s more or less with an intact re- reputation, though... He also turned out to be a decent writer as well as artist. So, I mean, he's talking about um, the Savage Dragon, I would assume, right? I think since you know, since Eric he left Larson Marvel, all, that's really he, been all yeah. he's done, right? And I, I, I got some of those back when I was in the service, like the first couple issues, but I never really followed up on it. But, I mean, the, he, yeah, he, he did do Marvel before that, too. I don't think he ever did any DC, did he? Not, I mean, that, I I, not that I'm aware of. Mm. We had done, uh, I think, like the first three or four issues of Savage Dragon on Comics Monthly Monday one month for the Get Chris to Read, and it was pretty good. Mm. I had never read it before, but it was pretty good. I liked it. All right, and he goes on to say, by liking Avengers art, you mean before or after Liefeld left the book? After he left, it was pretty book uh, good. I guess it's, uh, yeah, on The Heroes Reborn. Yeah, we we mentioned it, I guess, I guess in the episode... Uh, one one eighteen, <laughs> I guess. I, I think I said I didn't think the art was that bad. I don't remember the Liefeld issues. I guess I just remember the later ones, probably. I thought Liefeld only did Captain America, but maybe he did That's do what some I of thought. the early Avengers. Yeah, and we do a show called Avengers Spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> with the, with the, the foremost experts on all things Avengers. Don't you know that? Die at the Avengers. Die. Die. <laughs> remember, we're the ones that have D-Man in the commercial. Come on. <laughs> don't don't expect accuracy. Just laughs. Yeah. Exactly. Waka waka waka. Uh, and next we got the first issue of Warlord. Wow, the very beginning of the character. All right, sorry about that walk and slip. And that inner world thing being retconned to a dimensional pocket universe he managed to drive through. Oh, so that's. Oh, I didn't know that. That's what they. They maybe that was later with Crisis or something. Which is more dangerous than getting uh, fast food via the drive-through? <laughs> also, a lot more interesting. Yeah, and a hot redhead female warriors uh, on, on a savage place always expect a hidden dagger with them. Well, other than Red Sonya, she goes into combat nude, so she can't really hide a dagger, so it'll just be at your throat. And I don't. Is there something wrong with that? Because I'm no. not sure why he's mentioning it. That's that's like as if that's a bad thing. 
I don't know. I don't think going into combat nude is a really, uh, you know, you kind of put yourself on the defensive. Well, I, I don't want nude men going to combat. No, oh, no, 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 no. But Red Sonia, you know. Mm. What, are you going to fight her? <laughs> Actually, I'll probably be, well, it would be a quick fight because she's just going to hit me in the head and knock me out. There you go. So, Speaking of which, nice Skyrim reference on the warlord taking a mace to the head. Are you familiar with that reference, Paul? I didn't know the, if you got uh, that. The arrow to the knee? Arrow to the shoulder or whatever. Or arrow I, I, I believe it's arrow to the knee in the sky. Oh, that's reference. right. And yeah. the only reason I'm familiar with it is because I have a son who plays these things. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Travis would like to be able to shout. Oh, uh, I guess use shouts like that from the game. Yeah, because I think you can use shouts for powers, uh, for magic and stuff. And it says a lot when Bruce Jones... When Bruce Jones' remake of this just had the Warlord make himself some nunchucks out of some sticks and rope, <laughs> be way more believable. Still, it sounded like a very fun comic. Yeah, Skull the Slayer didn't last long, but he appeared every so often, and his last appearance was in the X-Men book when it was a team-up title. I don't recall that. I don't. I may have to look up to see when his appearances were, because the last one I remember was when he was in Marvel 2 and 1, and they brought him back to the current time. It says X-Men and Fantastic Four plus Skull the Slayer fighting evil. It was fun. I'm sure it was. I'd like to I'd like to read it. I gotta figure out what issue it was in. X-Men was a team up book. The book was in hmm. uh, third, we have the second Aliens Limited series, Newton Hicks Newt, blah, Newt and Hicks getting the shaft in Aliens 3 being being something the writers of this had no idea about. Not that being trapped on a ship with three xenomorphs is really what I call a great time. And finding people messing with xenomorphs on Earth can't be fun. <clears throat> and then finding out how well xenomorphs take to orders will be a nightmare for them. The final book of the episode is Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis comic adaptation. The beginning of another and doing it well. Oh, sorry. The beginning of another adventure and doing it well. Oh, and the Crystal Skull. Trust me, the Indiana Jones movie is about as real as the mythos around those things. Better, in fact, in that it doesn't pretend to be reality. Well, that was fun, and I'll be there to listen to more Back to the Bins. Insert pop culture reference Scott doesn't get here. <laughs> he definitely doesn't get it since he's not here. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I know we were joking joking and smoking. What am I, in the 40s all of a sudden? <laughs> At the beginning, um, just know if we want because we talked about the Hulks versus the Thunderbolts. Yeah, I know the Thunderbolts went to that Fight Club thing, and that was where I stopped. Yeah, that was bad. And, I agree, and with I, Jason, a hundred percent. Yeah, and I picked it back up when the team came back. I was like, "What the?" I, I think I got like two issues in before I realized what was going on because I was behind reading, and then I opened it, and went, "What the bleep?" <laughs> the heck with this. So. All right, I'm, I'm going to uh, take us over to Skull the Slayer on Wikipedia. Ah. The source of all information. Skull the Slayer is a trained soldier turned superhero who wears a scorpion power belt that enhances his strength and durability. The belt also has preservative effects on his body's metabolism. On one occasion, Scully was able to funnel energy into explosive force. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just say Scully? That's what it says. Okay. His name is Jim, his name is Jim Scully. That's his real name. Oh, oh, oh okay. okay. I, thought, I thought you'd do an X-Files thing. No, no, no. The Scully! Full 
The full capabilities of the belt are unknown. Jim Scully was an adventurer whose plane went through a time warp in the Bermuda Triangle, marooning him and his three companions in an alternate Earth where dinosaurs, primitives, and aliens coexisted. Scully and his three companions were eventually rescued and returned to their own time by the Thing of the Fantastic Four. That's where my knowledge of the character ended. That was from Marvel 2 and 1. Then it says, after that, basically, he served in Dr. Druid's team of occult investigators, the Shock Troop, alongside, I, I can't even say this, Sepulcre and Nakatu, the Living Mummy. He was attempting to find a way to remove the power belt, which had recently been damaged and had altered his appearance. His skin became transparent, showing only a green glowing skeleton. During this time, he adopted the alias of the obscure Golden Age hero, the Blazing Skull. He crossed paths with such heroes as Quasar and Captain America while a member of the team. Eventually, Dr. Druid was able to restore him to his normal appearance, and he left the team. Sometime later, attempts to remove the belt caused him to lose the youthful metabolism the belt provided. He gained weight and lost much of his physical shape. <laughs> well, which of us, who of us hasn't that happened to? The belt, physical shape the belt had kept him at over the years. While serving as a bodyguard, he met and had an adventure with Hawkeye. Then it goes on, there's like a second thing where they talk about the same stuff. Then it says the Future Foundation found a message buoy and contacted the X-Men. And the two teams traveled through a portal to another world. Well, the Future Foundation, that's like, that's within the past couple years. Well, it it, it lists the references as being, it has the Marvel 2-in-1 issue. Then it says Quasar 45 and 46, Captain America 420, Hawkeye Volume 3 Number 1. And X-Men number 16 and 19. There is no Fantastic Four uh, issue referred to in, in the references. Oh, well, it must be. Yeah, it must be that one he's talking about. Six, or, hmm. okay. okay. And I guess we'll go on to Jason's letter. Once again, not spam. <laughs> uh, for Back to the Bins 120. Hey, guys. Captain America versus the Mad Bomb. Oh, that was interesting. And Jack Kirby's run was unique, to say the least, with Henry Kissinger showing up being one very odd thing to say. And yes, Cap's Cur- Kirby's Cap run keeps up the crazy and oddness. Though, yeah, Kissinger showing up after Cap got Nixon to blow his brains out makes it even odder. But yeah, the book definitely, the book definitely acquired taste. I read it in, tra- in the trade and found it interesting, yet weird. For DC, we got Commandy, starting with a flying ape. Wow! <laughs> up, up, and away! Hey! I, and- have, I regret nothing! <laughs> and even, even in the future of Commandy, Super- Superman isn't forgotten. Or the Mighty One, as they call him. Though they should be glad it isn't like a lot of history and isn't based off of Lex Luthor's thoughts of the Man of Steel. I forgot I wasn't doing this in a voice. And they got someone that can turn into steel. So he is a man of steel. Sort of. Though probably not fun to be shot with a Gatling gun. And Commandy drops a guy into a fiery pit. Wow. Crazy stuff and sounds like a lot of fun. Unlike the Commandy at World's End and Superman at World's End, which is in the 90s. Stuff Michael mentioned. Let's just say they weren't as good and leave it at that. Commandy did have some time in the limelight in Batman, The Brave and the Bold. To me, now Kirby's... Gary, hmm? now, now Gary Cooper. <laughs> to me, 
Kirby's stuff has a power and pathos to it. That's what adds to fun. <laughs> Dinosaurs for Hire. Never heard of it. And the team versus a Turok parody. And of course, I'm still writing emails to you guys as this one shows. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Yeah, this this book definitely is not above taking a shot at anyone. <laughs> or avoiding giving cut off arms to dogs. I'm, I'm I'm actually doing kind of a combo of Walter Brennan and Pete Puma. <laughs> well, you can't even help that. myself. See, it it the, it's just the voices just blur together sometimes, and then you lose yourself. And biting the hand that eventually buys them out. Ghost hunting and Dracula crazy stuff. And then amusing find, and then fight Torakov and a DC jab. <laughs> of course, with Samantha the ghost, well, well, won't have someone walk through them mean they did it. Won't have won't having someone walk through them mean they did it. I guess so. Yeah, that's a family joke, got Family Guy joke, Scott. It's a shame Scott isn't here to to get all these references that he's not going to get. He's never here when we have emails for him. <laughs> Nothing like a killer belly flop to stop a supervillain, and something of cosmic importance about to happen. Oh boy, with that group it'll end up a farce. Dinosaurs for Hire sounds like a fever dream or a Family Guy cartoon. Not sure about dead guys getting all the chicks as Boston Brand doesn't have many. This one Malibu comic I really want you guys to cover is Exiles. I'll make it worth your while. You guys probably will find that one to be... Interesting. And that's where Jason's letter ends. I hope Jason appreciates our doing all these swell voices for him while we did it. Have you ever read uh, the Exiles book? I've read parts of it. but Did, I, did you read it when it kind of merged with, with Marvel? When, when they, Juggernaut uh, came in there? I'm the Juggernaut, bitch! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a beep <laughs> or a bleep. <laughs> yeah, you missed one last week. Did I? Yeah. Oh, that's it was, not good. It, it was in the Dr. Bill segment when I was talking about looking at the pictures. What'd you say? <laughs> I said, I said, I turned turn to my buddy, said, if I'd see myself in one of these photos, we're getting the bleep out of here. But there was no bleep. And then like two I, minutes later, you bleeped Mike for the same word. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I just missed it. I totally explicit tag. Well, you know what? I checked, uh, because I put the Arnold thing at the end of, was it, I don't think it was that episode, a different one. But then I realized that there's cursing in that. <laughs> yeah. And and so I went to see, and when I looked, everything had an explicit tag on it. So it's like, okay, it doesn't matter then. <laughs> so we got yeah, two I... more pieces of email here. Why don't we jump right on them? Do you want to do Andy or Luke? I'll do Mr. Leyland. Dear Binners, I guess we're Binners. Rarely do I completely disagree with Scott. And we need Yay! Scott. Come on. You know what? We're <laughs> going to read this letter, and then when Scott's here, we're reading it again. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott will just go, yeah, he's wrong. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I guess I'll play the part of Scott for this. All right. <laughs> rarely, rarely do I completely disagree with Scott. Well, you shouldn't, because I'm always right. Normally, normally we have a middle ground where we can meet. No, no, we can't, Andy. Remember, I'm speaking of Scott. But as far as the Wolverine miniseries goes, I have to side with Paul, Bill, and Chris. Woo! Oh. Woo-hoo! <laughs> what do those apps know? 
while sitting. Just keep, just keep giving me things to believe. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, no more Scott Gardner. <laughs> Whilst it is easy to view this series as cliched now, it was groundbreaking when released, and I felt it was still a fine read. I avoid listening to this show for a bit as we covered it the same week, but it was interesting to hear the similarities and differences. I totally agree with that, and and because I, because we aired before they recorded, I got to listen to his as soon as it came out, and I didn't feel like the two episodes competed with each other in the slightest. I felt like they really, you could play them back to back and they almost played as companion episodes to each other, which is, I think, pretty cool. Mm. I haven't haven't been able to listen to that one yet. In fact, somehow this evening I listened to one out of order because I listened to the Spider-Man Cosmic one this evening and I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Then I looked through, oh, I started at the wrong end. So so yeah, yeah, I, I still need to... To get caught, caught back up in that. Although technically, I guess I'm ahead, kind of. Yeah, anyway. However, as usual, when Scott critiques things, he did hit upon uh, 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 he did hit upon something interesting. Well, see, now he's got to suck up to Scott and make up for disagreeing with him. Go ahead, Andy. You should do this rest in a, with an English accent, I think, because he he would read your letter with an American accent. Oh God! You're gonna make me do anything, and then, then, then him and Stephen and and all them guys over there are gonna make fun of me because I don't do a good English accent. That is my goal. You bleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't do it. With yeah, because I'll sound like some Cockney, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of the only English accent I do, and it doesn't sound as good as that. <laughs> Anyway, with the amount this story has been parodied and set up since its release, do you think that's why the writers of the film took the characters and situations and developed a completely different plot? Or do you guys think it's once again Hollywood pissing on something to make it better? Uh, hmm. What do you think on that? I, I think they were attempting to make it better, but I don't, I don't think they ever... I mean, they they did keep a lot of the key points. And and I, I don't think they ever intended to make it a full-out ad- adaptation anyway. That's that's the way I'm looking at it. I think they decided to use it as inspiration towards the movie, but I don't think they ever, they were making a movie of the book. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think they, they were just pissing on it to make it better. I, I mean, I'm, I like the Wolverine movie. And, and I thought they did a good job with it, which that was in our other show... That we did on that with, uh, in the round table. Well, that was, yeah, us, Chris, 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 Chris. <laughs> and, and Scott. Scott 2.0. Scott, not, yeah, not, not, uh, not Rifen. Not, uh, and not oh, wait a minute. Well, well, wait That's a minute. The, the panel of Scots. The, we have the three Scots, we have the three Chris's, and, uh, but, but wait a minute. We got Scott Gardner. Is Scott Gardner Scott Prime? Or is Scott, Scott, Pri- is Scott Gardner Scott Prime. Uh, Scott Reifen is is Beta Scott, and then uh, Scott McGregor is Scott two point and then until he gets his mind wipe, and then he's Scott two point one. Yeah, pretty much. Anyway, keep up. Anyway, keep up the good work on my favorite two two three TTF show. It's always a good day when a new BTTB hits. Take care, pip pip cheerio, and all that. It's 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 always good until <laughs> this one hits. <laughs> <laughs> Because we are getting to, to paraphrase my to paraphrase Monty Python, we are getting quite silly. 
Yes, yes. Well, and you know what? Didn't you say that when he's not here, we go off the rails? That's what I said. Because nobody's here to rein us in. We don't have an we don't have any adult influence on us, and it's really sad to think that Scott is the adult influence on anyone, even <laughs> even his kids. <laughs> All right. Well, you've got the last one. Uh, it's from our good friend, Mister Jackanetti, who we will be having on our Iron Man episode when we eventually do it. And it is okay. <clears throat> la la. <laughs> My dear, back to the binners. Nice mix of bo- nice mix of books this time out, from Hulk to Warlord to Aliens to Indiana Jones. You guys mentioned the Heroes Reborn deal from Marvel Comics from the late '90s. The Iron Man book was drawn by Jim Lee's associate Wiles Portacio. The book was all right, not great, but not terrible. It would be replaced with the Busiak Chen Iron Man, which was absolutely fantastic. Warlord was part of DC's attempt to counter-program against Marvel's Conan the Barbarian. Warlord was the only really successful DC SNS book. Others, which started around the same time in the mid to late 70s and didn't make it. Beowulf, Sheer Insanity, great book. Tor, Joe Kubert's Caveman. Stalker by Steve Ditko. I can't, I've never seen that, but I can't picture Steve Ditko doing a sword and sorcery book. It just doesn't mm. seem to be a natural mix. Claw the Unconquered, Kong the Untamed, a Korak son of Tarzan clone, and Hercules Unbound. Of those, I remember Hercules. Warlord was the only one of these books to go more than 12 issues. Later books, such as Arak and Arion, lasted longer, but none were as long-running as Warlord. DC has also released a Showcase Presents volume of the first two years of Warlord. Grell's art looks really nice in black and white. By the way, Paul, Kong was not held in titanium steel, but instead by <clears throat> chrome steel, which just means that his steel is really, really shiny. <laughs> Good move there, Denim. Thank you, thank you for correcting me on that, Luke. Uh, you're absolutely he's, correct. It is chrome steel, and that does actually even make it funnier. He's in chrome steel. <laughs> he's not getting out. You don't have to run. <laughs> Punch up. Oh, yeah. You were talking about me doing words. You get a bleep. I'm not bleeping that. <laughs> Stop talking about my cat. It's not my cat's fault. He was he was constipated. <laughs> That story will be either the beginning or the end of the show. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have so much editing to do on this. <laughs> just to cut out the points where we're just going nuts laughing. All right. I'll leave it in. Loved hearing about the Dark Horse Aliens comic from Sean. These DH licensed books were generally very strong. <laughs> what? Sorry. 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 Bah, bah, bah. I, I, when you said DH, I thought of a dirty word. <laughs> All right, everybody, leave that one to your imagination because I'm not editing it out. Okay. <laughs> These DH licensed books were generally very strong, and Aliens was one of their best. For me on the Aliens franchise, why not take a listen to the Aliens Quadrilogy special over on the vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror? That's a good question because I don't remember ever hearing that, and I do listen to the vault. So Yeah, that was... Um... I'm going to have to find that because I would like to hear that. I want to say after, because I think they started with all the, yeah, just locking right up. <laughs> all right, so 
you don't anyway, get, you don't get informative informative information. No, no, like no. That. They they did all the the. I keep trying to say John Carter, and it's not John Carter. John Carpenter. John Carter. Yes, I recall John them Carter. doing the John yes. Carpenter stuff. And I th- I think it was one of the ones, or maybe it was a special that popped in there somewhere. But yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Blowing all my money on alcohol and comic books sounds awesome, Doctor Bill. Thanks for another great show, fellas. Good to have Hero and Sean on board, Luke. P.S. The outro stinger on this episode was outright Arnoldtastic. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, that's the episode you put that on. <laughs> yes, now we now we can recall. Now, do you, yes. did you... Uh, Total recall. That's it for email. So we have a clean basket again, and it's time for people to go on and give us iTunes ratings. That's what I'm looking for even more than email. As much as I like email. I would like to have people come in and say that they like our show, because if they don't like it, I would rather they didn't say anything. Yes, thank you again for everybody emailing in. It's nice to get feedback. Yes, or very... F- but, okay, what? But, 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 no, I was going to make some lame joke about feedback, feedback. We, they need to feed our egos, and the email is the feedback. I don't know. Yes, that's, and have, having exhausted that, We'll put a promo in here. (laughs) Promo time. Grom, I have never prayed to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good men or bad. Why we bought, why we sold on eBay. All that matters is that 50 cent Captain Kirk Mego action figure. That's what's important. Cheapness pleases you, Grom. So grab me one request. Grab me the fruit of suburbia's garage sales. Let me drive those dealers away from that box of records and hear the lamentations of the children as I buy their Star Wars toys for a quarter. And if you do not listen, then to hell with you! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell. And I make my living going to garage sales and then selling the junk I find on eBay. That's right, just like those assholes on TV. You can hear a podcast all about it where I tell you about all the good junk I got, how I sold it, give you tips, gripe, bitch, and moan, and even have friends come along with me. So check it out, it's called Garage Sale Gloat, and it can only be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. Which is, of course, the home of the Two True Freaks Network. Duh. We're back. That sounds like a pretty interesting show, too, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't know what show it is either. Me but, neither. But that's, <laughs> but that's the fun of it all. You got the Marvel this week. Yes, I do. Hi, heroes. Fasten your seatbelts, because Mighty Marvel is about to take you to a new dimension. I have a book I was going to do originally when we were on our original um, idea for the Wolverine episode until we shifted gears and did the four books in the miniseries. I had a Marvel prepared, so I had this sitting in a drawer and decided to um, go ahead and bring it out. Um, I have the Uncanny X-Men, Volume 1, Issue 162 which has uh, a lovely cover of um, Wolverine on on the front with uh, tendrils of steam rising from his body while a large yellow brood hovers over him and Wolverine is giving the crying to the heavens pose. 
And uh, like he, or either that, he's really constipated like my cat was. Anyway, <laughs> covers by Dave Cockrum and Bob Wycheck. And our story is entitled Beyond the Farther Star. Writer is Chris Claremont. Pencils, Dave Cockrum. Inks, Bob Wycheck. Colorist is Glennis Ween. Letter is Tom Orzakowski. Editor is Luis Jones. And editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. And this was originally um, the uh, the fine minutiae on the inside has the, um, the date of uh, October 1982. I don't have the actual on the stands date, but of course we all know it was a couple weeks different. So, all right. <clears throat> we open to Wolverine in an alien landscape dressed in a tattered uniform, confused and in pain. He muses over who he is and how he got into this situation. So we have some great expositional Chris Claremont dialogue like this. If I can find it. Ah, I'm crazy. You see a berserker, a psycho killer. That's fact, not truth. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. No, wait. Anyway, I'm Canadian, ex-Secret Service, mutant, X-Men. I'm a warrior. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop? The Wolverine, they never know. Anyway, on the trek through the jungle, Logan is racked with waves of pain and is attacked by the local... Uh, by a local creature that gasses him with a hallucinogen just as he dispatches it with his adamantium claws. Logan enters a dream sequence set in Japan with his love Mariko Yoshida on a horse ride. The two discuss how different they are yet perfect for each other when in the distance Logan spots eagles, large eagles heading their way and something doesn't quite feel right. He startles her ho- uh, Mar- Mariko's horse to run, but she is cut down not by eagles, but by brood hunters. Mariko's apparent death breaks Logan out of his stupor as he sees that the hunters are real and ready to take him down. Oddly, though, the blasters they use are set for stun, so Logan has a small advantage. He, however, is not so forgiving as he skewers one of the brood with his claws, which are set to kill. Goddamn dog. Shut up! Shut up, you stupid dog! Hold on. You want the dog outside? Who? 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 Shut up. Hmm? <laughs> what? What? Who is who is the dog on yeah. first base? <laughs> That's not getting edited, by the way. That's staying in. <laughs> oh, where was I? I don't oh, often man. get to uh, to go to the Baja men during a uh, <laughs> during a podcast. Uh, as the other brood arrive to attack, the ground gives way, and Logan eludes his attackers. Falling, he goes from the frying pan into the fire as he lands in the massive spider web. The shot. <coughs> the shot pulls back to reveal the web is actually a small area stuck on the side of a mountainous carcass of a creature that is actually being used as a hive or city for the brood. I like the transition from Arnold to regular <laughs> without, like in the middle of a sentence. Uh, at one time, this was one of the brood's living starships, much like the space whale in the second Matt Smith Doctor Who episode. Which I don't think you've seen. No. 
Yeah. Moving on. The remaining brood are not ready to follow their prey due to the scavengers below. Meanwhile, on the web below, Logan goes to free himself claw style and has another pain attack. Cue flashback. He recalls a ceremony on a Shi'ar starship celebrating their defeat of Deathbird, who is attempting to overthrow her sister Lalandra, the X-Men's ally and Charles Xavier's lover. Our X-Men are discussing recent events concerning Colossus' sister when suddenly Deathbird appears and stasis bombs the crap out of them. Ew. When Logan... <laughs> Do like not... Like your cat again. Meow! Meow! It's coming out! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, I'm here. Clean it up. <laughs> we couldn't... You know, we're so far off the rails, I can't even see the freaking rails anymore. <laughs> I just see my cat with Arnold Schwarzenegger's head. <laughs> Come on, feed me! Meow! God damn it! <laughs> where, where can people get educational podcasts like this besides two two true freaks? Tell me. Change the litter box. Now. <laughs> Scott's gonna hear this. He's gonna say that's it. You guys don't have it. You're not allowed say, on our feed anymore. That's it. You guys have to have adult supervision at all times. <laughs> this will this will teach him to not work. That's right. It'll teach you to have a job and a life. Uh, when Logan comes to, he is surrounded by sleazoids brood they are prisoners an instant later he is back on the shiar throne world his senses tell him one thing and reality reality tells him another eventually he starts to he starts to accept what he sees only to have visions of the brood pop back in momentarily visions of brood popped in his head and he doesn't know why he discovers why later in the palace as he comes across the brood holding imperial guard member fang no, Fang. Uh, that wasn't the... Uh, was that on the Munsters? Fang was uh, what Eddie used to carry around, I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's right. All right, so... Wasn't it? I think so. No, wait. Was it Fang, the the creature under the stairs? The dragon? No, that was Spot. Spot. Oh, okay. I kind of thought it was a Fang. Maybe Fang was in the Adams family. Or maybe... I thought, I thought Fang was the... No, no, actually, I think the... Like Eddie had a, a, a doll he used to carry around with him that was like a little werewolf, and I think the name I think it was named Wolf Wolf. Wolf Wolf. Anyway, but, uh, I, I, did I tell you? Did I ever tell you the story about how I saw uh, Eddie Munster, Butch Patrick, at uh, the uh, I can't remember which comic convention show it was in Manhattan, like maybe a year and a half ago, and it you know it, it was kind of sad. He was sitting at the table, you know, selling autographs. What oh, well, was he holding the doll? No, he was not holding the doll, but. <laughs> I didn't see anybody going over and buying it or even talking to him, and you know, kind of looked like uh, somebody somebody woke him up behind the dumpster and had him come up and sit at a table. So geez. it's kind of kind of sad. And if, and, and, and if he's a two two true freaks listener, I think I may have just scared him off. <laughs> Back to our synopsis. <laughs> he discovers why later in the palace, as he comes across the brood holding Imperial Guard member Fang in stasis as he struggles in pain. Wolverine has no pity at first as Fang was helping Deathbird against Lalandra. He quickly changes his mind as he watches Fang being transformed into a brood via an implanted queen egg and realizes the fate that awaits the X-Men is the same. Screaming, he is spotted by the brood and the chase was on. 
Back to the present, Logan spots a brood heading back into the hive, and by its markings, it is the transformed Fang. He attempts to get Fang to take him to the hive, but is hit with another wave of pain. The distraction is enough to allow Bang, Frodo, Brood, Brood, Fang, whatever he is, to throw off Logan into the waiting stingers of a group of hunters. Quickly finishing the Brood off, Logan stands triumphant until the egg inside him has started to transform him into a fully-fledged brood. But the Admanium skeleton is not affected by the transformation, and Logan uses that as an anchor to fight for his very being, and through willpower and healing factor, he is able to fight off the transformation. Standing looking scarred, standing looking scarred and scaled, he vows that if he can't cure his friends, he will kill them all, and then it will be the Sleazoid's turn. And I missed a page of my freaking synopsis from the dog barking. <laughs> like I said, you can't get quality like this <laughs> elsewhere. Where did I go wrong? Uh, it was like about a year and a half ago when Scott said, Hey, you want to be on the show with us? <sighs> right to the quick. Right to the quick, man. That one hurt. Well, I'm saying, you said, where did you go wrong? I didn't say, where did we go wrong? <laughs> Ah. I'm waiting. No, I'm just looking here. Yes, okay. I. No, I, I, I missed a whole section in the middle of the book where. Well, why don't you just tell us what happened in the section? I'll tell you what happened in the section that I missed because we're just nutty. <sighs> the X-Men were being taken to Lalandra for the reward. Only a taller, strange-looking Shi'ar woman is next to her. Each X-Man goes before her and leaves until Kitty stands next. She struggles and is afraid, crying out to Logan for help. Logan does nothing and next takes his turn to find himself facing the Brood Queen and screens, bringing himself back to reality. The local fauna are about to make him a snack. The scavengers don't stand a chance because Wolverine is the best at what he does, and what he does isn't pretty, much like this entire episode. Now, that easier wounded prey is here, the beasts, just like the dog barking in the background, turn on the injured and leave Logan alone. Logan starts to climb up and suffers another, bl another blackout. He comes to in a strange place and finds Storm, only to discover that she still believes they are with the Shi'ar. His Canadian nerve pinch, he Canadian nerve pinches her and tries to find a way out. Finding Kitty asleep, he tells her he is sorry and will get her home, only to then have dark thoughts of ending her life. And that's what happened in the middle of the book that I forgot to cover. <laughs> now, I'm sure everybody fully understood that it was so easy. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. We shouldn't, we're too busy doing voices to pay attention to what we should be doing. <laughs> you know... <laughs> This show, is, this show is definitely being dominated by the sidetrack uh, silliness as opposed to actually paying attention to what the subject is supposed to be. But some, uh, sometimes that's the beauty of the show. I had, a, I had a rough week. I was just glad to get to this at the end of the week. So yeah. I guess my, my happiness and giddiness is overwhelming. For what it's worth, if you're sitting there listening to the show, first of all, we don't do this all the time. Sometimes we actually do good stuff, I think. Secondly... <laughs> Even if you're not enjoying it, we are. And doesn't that count for something? <laughs> What'd you so, think of this one? Oh, well, I'm, this is uh, this is one of the early... Um, I think this was around the time I started getting the X-Men. And 
it was in you know because this I um, this is the Dave Cockermere and then next will be Paul Smith so I had just started to collect around here and then I went backwards in in my X-Men and you know aside from the uh, the Wolverine miniseries which I didn't get till later which actually wait a minute came out before this before this but I didn't get it until years later um, this was like you know what so even though it's all cliched Chris Claremont writing, it wasn't here when I read it, just like we talked about in the earlier stuff that back then this was not a cliche. You know, this was, a, you know, this was goes with the whole, you know, Stanley, every everybody's comic book is could be their first comic, you know, and it lays everything out, explains it. And, you know, it does good with the flashbacks. It keeps things straight, even when you can't read the synopsis straight. And and it's it's easy. Well, plus they do kind of make the flashback uh, panels. They have a little like wavy lines around them, so you've got the Scooby Doo effect to kind of help you figure out what's in the past and what's in the present. Um, I I love the artwork. I, I don't know if you do. Um, especially the rendering of of the large uh, ship that's that's the city. Yeah, I think that's actually the best piece of art in the book. Mm-hmm. But I don't totally agree with loving it. I, I like that piece, but I don't. Well, I mean, because it's love like the a, rest a lot, very much. It it's a two-page spread too. Well, I guess well maybe not in this. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always kind of like, I like the Dave Cockrum costume designs. They've always been pretty cool. I mean, because he he did most of the Imperial Guard, which you know he based off of or stuff he was going to use for the Legion of Superheroes. Um, but didn't get a chance to. Well, I believe Nightcrawler and Storm were earmarked to be Legion of Superheroes characters. Mm-hmm. He ended up uh, taking to the X-Men. I don't know if the... Didn't he do Imperial some of the others? Is, I don't know if the Imperial Guard was meant to be characters he was going to use in Legion of Superheroes, or if they are just basically, you know, parodies of the Legion of Superheroes characters. Mm. That's the way I was. At least that's the impression I had about them. But I, I thought the artwork in this book, I thought the Dave Cockrum artwork was really good. Actually, I think the Bob Wycheck inking is kind of weak. Uh, mm. I thought his line work is very inconsistent. Sometimes it gets really thick. Sometimes it gets really thin. It's not very detailed at all. Uh, the backgrounds are almost non-existent in a lot of it. In most of it, right. Uh, and and this point, even even in that two page spread, I think it's really well laid out by Cockrum and and well drawn, but I think there could have been more fine detail in a lot of it, where you know where he just didn't add it. Uh, you know, you got the little globules, and you kind of see there's something inside, but you know he just did like kind of squiggly lines instead of actually giving you a little something there. Uh, well, I, I thought the inking was was subpar. Well, some of the finest detail also comes on, I think, on the last two pages. When he goes into the transformation, he comes out and his skin is all scaled and cracked. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, I mean, that right there is a little more detailed than other parts of the book. So, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. And then the fang, the fang transformation. And then when he comes out, that picture of the brood there looks pretty good. I think that's on page. I don't know what page that's on. It's on one of those pages. Yeah, it's one. If you're it's reading one along at home, look for the page. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we have a nice um, 
fortuitous hair covering of uh, Storm's breasts on one page. Now, why'd they have to do that? <laughs> At least Kitty was all covered up, even though Wolverine was thinking, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> if I can't save them, I'll kill them. Uh, what was one of the creatures? Um... We get a weird collection of creatures when he's stuck in that web. Mm-hmm. Then that's some scary looking stuff. Yeah, like, like I said, I thought the, the the overall artwork was decent. Uh, it's not that not that I thought Cockrum did, but I like Cockrum's artwork in general. Uh, mm-hmm. I know for some people they're not that crazy, but my favorite Cockrum work is actually a little bit more obscure. But it's uh, when he did a when when he did a couple of issues of Giant Size X Men. Uh, excuse me, Giant Size Avengers rather. Giant Size Avengers during during that whole it was during the Celestial Madonna run. Oh, okay. Okay. He, he did, I believe, issues two and three, or it was either two and three or three and four of Giant Size Avengers, and that's like my favorite Cockrum work for whatever reason. Did you ever see the graphic novel they did called The Futurians? I have it. I've never read it. Oh. In fact, yeah, I, I, I believe I have two copies of it for some reason, <laughs> but I've never read it. I haven't been able to find mine lately, but if I, I have know it's two, here somewhere. If I have two, I will be shipping one to you. Oh, well, no, you don't have to do that. Uh, I mean, no, sure you, you heard I had two, and then you mentioned, oh, I don't have it. Uh, no, I have it. It's somewhere <laughs> in the house. <laughs> oh, what am I going to do? You know, you're practically begging for it on the air. Am I going to make the audience <laughs> think I'm cheap? No, no. You you are far from cheap, sir. You were, you were, you were f- fantastic when we were at Disney, which everyone will hear that coming up soon. Oh, no, that, everyone may hear that before they hear this. Cause... I don't know, because if Scott does, like, two or three episodes, then you won't have to put anything out for a while. Yeah, well, this is going to take me quite some time to edit. <laughs> <coughs> so, and, and if you're listening at home and you hear how convoluted the final copy sounds, just imagine how it sounded before I edited it. <laughs> I have no idea what you mean. It wasn't my fault that my wife came home and the dog was barking. Yeah. I should have been a professional and just soldiered on, but uh, I, I am Doug and I'm easily distracted. What? Huh? No. I don't. I don't have a lot on this book. I thought the story was well written. Uh, you want to talk cliche? Just the amount of exposition he has in his balloon mm-hmm. in the, the the page when he goes over and he gives Kit, Kitty the kiss. Look how many how many like. Uh, explanation uh, squares there are on that page. How much dialogue, not dialogue, how much language is put in there. It's just crazy. Oh, yeah, this is really heavy. Uh, Tom Orkowski had his work cut out for him. <laughs> you would you would think this was like 1968 Roy Thomas with all this, all this extra language. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, that that is a lot. I mean, there's like so many... I mean, it, it would. I mean, we could read all that dialogue, but would, this show's already gone long enough. <laughs> and we still have a book to cover yet. But that's yes. that's pretty much all I have on this one. I don't know if you have anything more. No, uh, trying to think about that Fang costume. I thought we had a discussion with Scott about we the did Fang and, costume. And, and we did, and you were correct. So I guess that's why you're bringing that up now. Scott no, no, no. I, I could actually, I honestly could not remember. I yeah, he no, wore Scott it back in X Men. Scott yeah, like mis- misremembered when Wolverine uh, went, took the costume from him. And uh, well, obviously he got it back, or maybe he had a spare. 
Well, well yeah, I guess he would have more than one, wouldn't you, he? You would hope he'd have more than one. But, you know, when you think about it, it's just kind of weird that Wolverine, like, stripped him and took his costume. Give me your costume. Now. I need your jacket, your keys, your motorcycle, your fang. And your, yeah, I need your fang necklace. <laughs> He stole the costume, and he even put on the fang necklace and the fang belt. I need your paraphernalia. (laughs) All right, let's move on. All right, as we go on with Arnold. All right, do you want to go over to to our next book? Yes, yes, I I have it ready. All right, those are people who who, uh, listen to people People of Earth. Paul Spataro speaks. People, People who listen to us who are still actually with us after all this time going through this stuff, that we're just sitting back waiting for the DC book. Well, we don't have a DC book this week. Sorry. I went to the indie, and I have The Brute, number one, from Atlas Comics, February of 1975. It's got a cover price of 25 cents. It says on the cover, Is he man, ape, or monster? Read. The Night of the Brute. And the cover is by Dick Giordano. And I know that because I looked at Mike's Amazing World to find out who the cover was by. And it is a... I think it's a gorgeous cover. Now, on the cover, though, the brute looks to be a good 20 feet tall or so. And he's holding a uh, street lamp. A street pole with a lamp on it. Like it's a baseball bat. Uh, with a wake of destruction behind him and the police taking aim at him in front of him. Uh, like I said, I just I thought it was an outstanding cover. The story there, opens... What you, Do you have something, Bill? There's 11 cops behind that cop car. And there's one laying on the floor. I'm just trying to see, is he unconscious or is he kind of just hiding? I think he's I think he's hiding. He's, uh, yeah, he's, 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 he's like leaning on his elbows, so he's not, uh, he's not unconscious. He, He's crapping his drawers. He's now your cat could learn from him. Alvin. <laughs> so our story opens in the spring of 1970. Oh, did I actually say who wrote and drew and everything? No, I didn't. So. Ah, uh, you said Dick Giordano did the. Yeah, I just said he did the cover, but that's as far as Dick Giordano's uh, contribution to this issue goes. The story is by Mike Fleischer, and the art is by Mike Sikowski and Pablo Marcos. Marcos. It's edited by Jeff Rovin. The story opens in the spring of 1975 in the limestone caves outside of Hargrove, Minnesota. Which I guess I mentioned Hargrove twice. Yeah, whatever. Three young explorers go into the cave where they where they hear a bear or a monster. But they keep moving forward as stupid tweens do. And they encounter the brute. The narration tells us that Poor little Timmy never had a chance, and is the first <laughs> victim of this unforgettable Night of the Brute, which is the title of our story. And so this hulking brute, because he's apparently supposed to be, I guess, Atlas Comics version of the Hulk, uh, it takes Timmy and smashes him against the cave wall. The other two run, but one twists his ankle, and the brute takes a boulder and... Well, do I really have to describe what happened there? <laughs> it's it's kind of ugly. I was a spelunkler until I took a rock to the body. <laughs> a giant rock. Much like an insect. 
So at this point, we explore the history of the brute, and to do that, we have a flashback to the age of the great mastodons, when the world was populated by bestial subhumans, who are a midpoint between man and ape. We then have the dawn of the Ice Age, and one beast creature that stayed behind where he was frozen for centuries. But an atomic power plant raises the ambient temperature five or six degrees, which is just enough to slowly melt the ice mass that trapped the brute. Upon recovering, he sustains himself by eating rats and mice until he found new prey. Young Timmy, you remember him. So we cut to a local hospital where our one surviving boy, Larry, is hysterical, and they're <laughs> trying to calm him. The police chief and the local anthropologist are brought in because we always have a local anthropologist around that we can bring in in every town. And the boy's story isn't just dismissed, and an investigation is launched. As word spreads, people as smart as ever, and they flock to the scene. The anthropologist, Dr. Turner, says that the creature should be taken alive and is confronted by the father of the two boys who were killed, and he says that he intends to see the creature destroyed. The police drop tear gas into the cave, causing the brute to come out. A brilliant TV reporter approaches him and is quickly <laughs> thrown against the wall, just like Timmy. The police use a tranquilizer gun and put the beast down. Then they load him into a van and take him to a jail cell. The following day, a hearing is held in court to determine the brute's fate. The father of the two boys argues that it should be destroyed. Dr. Turner, on the other hand, argues that they should study him and that he doesn't really understand laws or morality. The judge rules that the brute must be kept under careful guard and that she is responsible for his behavior. We have a quick montage of Dr. Turner working with the brute who now wears a green vest, because all good brutes wear green vests. As she's working with him, someone attacks her from behind and sets the brute free. It's the boy's father. And what does the brute do? He picks the man up and throws him against the wall, which is apparently his favorite move, because it's the third time he's done it to somebody <laughs> this issue. I, I, I think the brute's a wrestler. Yeah, that's his finishing move. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and each person he did it to, he killed. So I guess that's fair enough. Guess he's undefeated in the ring. Dr. Turner recovers and sees that the brute is gone and that Mr. Uh, Carlson is dead. Despite the, f the fact that they easily figure out what happened, the police put out an order to bring in the brute dead or alive. The judge yells at Dr. Turner in an expository way. And we cut to an airport where the police are looking for the brute. But he stowed away on the plane. And that's the end of our issue. All right, now wait a minute. He just didn't stow away on the plane. He's sitting on the wing of the plane, like under the, underneath the wing. Well, it's stowing away. Now, did you get a good look at the at the plane? Uh, it says. <laughs> Do you see what I'm talking about already? On no, plane, it's, it, it says 5H17. It doesn't yeah, say have, something have, else. They have 5H17 on the, on the wing, on the body, and on the tail. And it, <laughs> it looks not like, so much like 5H17 as it looks like SHI7. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not 7, but I didn't feel like bleeping anything out again. Why uh, is this a recurring theme on the show tonight? <laughs> I don't know. There's too many recurring themes because 
SH-17. We got SH-17 all over the place. <laughs> you really do. Wouldn't that pilot notice all that weight on one side of the plane taking off? Well, you, do you notice the way he's drawn throughout the book? It's very inconsistent as to how big he is. Yeah, because on the wing, he's the way the if you're not looking at the book, the wings are kind of on the top of the plane and the cockpit is to the forward part of the plane. So he wouldn't see the brute underneath the wing because there's like another strut going from the wing down to the bottom body of the plane. And he's just like sitting up underneath the wing. But if he's so massive, you would think that weight, as soon as he took off, that, that plane would tip to the side. But, you know, I know. It's a comic book, Bill. Shut up. <laughs> well, on the cover of the book, though, he's about 20 feet he's tall. He's huge. Would, yeah. About 20 feet, would you say? Well, yeah. If he's if okay. he's picking up the, that light pole is at least his height. If he sets that down, it's it's as tall as he is. Now, now go to the splash page. He's crouched down with his knees at his chest, and he's about 20 feet tall in that position. Yeah, he's like crouched down he's twice the height of a man so there he's like 30 or 40 feet tall then he's in the jail cell and he's probably about seven or eight feet tall well not even yeah he's uh because he's like a big gorilla size because a lady comes up to the uh dr turner comes up to the cell and he's only well you know what he could be sitting down no but he's, he look when he's look at the bottom panel when uh carlson oh yeah great and he's yeah, looking he's, out of the cell Carlson's head comes up to his shoulder, so he's probably only about six inches taller than, you know, a normal-sized man. Yeah, well, maybe he can change his shape. There's no consistency at all to the way this guy, with the way this character is drawn, as far as his yeah. size goes. Why does everybody have red eyes? <laughs> They're all angry. Poor, poor, uh... The, what's the guy that comes back to the hospital? Man, that guy's lost his uh, 5H17, that's for sure. The, 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 the surviving <laughs> kid? Yeah. He's lost two brothers and his dad now. And two, oh, two, of, them, oh. two of them by having them thrown against the wall. I mean, his he's like... Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Yes. Larry. That's, he's done. Yeah, Larry. And the doctor, the doctor just looks evil. I, I think he's getting Larry ready for shock treatments. <laughs> Well, he does have the evil goatee. He's got the goatee and, and he's glasses. Got the, kind of, yeah, the forehead. I don't know. He's just yeah, he's definitely drawn to look evil. He he looks like the master from uh, the John Pertwee era of Doctor Who. <laughs> Could easily be the master. Okay, I, I the reference. I know. Is oh, it's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, as, as hard as I've tried on occasion, I still have not been able to get into Doctor Who. It's on Netflix, so I went back to the beginning. I watched the first two episodes, and I thought. Eh. And well, I'm sure what, it gets much, well, much better as it goes on. But Did you watch the first two episodes of the new stuff, or did you go back and watch one of the original ones? I watched like the first Black two, and White. No, I watched the first two episodes that they have on Netflix, which is, uh, I don't even remember what the actor's name is. The, he's the guy who played the Invisible Man on Heroes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. Yeah. I almost forgot he played that. So I think I think it's his his first two episodes as Doctor Who. Yeah. The, the companion was really cute. Yeah, well, keep watching. What's uh, name? Uh, Billy something is her name. Billy Piper. Yeah, she's yeah, very she, cute. She plays Rose. But that's as far as I got two episodes. So and, I, and I don't. If if I keep watching it, I will like it. You're saying? Well, I mean that I can't really say that. It all depends. I mean, you have no prior Doctor Who opinions, then? No, not really. 
yeah, then you'd. I think you might like it. How fo- how long do you think I have to watch before I get pulled in? Mm. I'd say you got to get to the because we covered this on the Hootro Freak sh- show. Um, I think if you haven't gotten sucked in by the un oh, not the unearthly the empty child and the doctor dances is is a two parter. Then you might not. I mean, you you might want to just finish out the season and try the new doctor because uh, the doctor regenerates at the end of that. Spoiler. At the oh, end of that now season. It's yeah. At, no, the end, at the end of the season, I started watching. Yes. So Eccleston only did one season. Yes. Okay. So will I? If I watch, let's just say I go through that first season. By the time that first season ends, will I? Should I be hooked already? Well, I mean, knowing from talking to you, and I mean, I think you you will probably get into it. Uh, the da- oh, the Dalek episode is a good one. I think you'd like that one. If if you're not hooked in by that one, and then the Empty Child, then maybe you shouldn't bother. All right, you know what? I'll, the rest. I, I don't know when, but I'll go back to it and I'll start watching a couple more, and we'll see if I get hooked or not. Because okay. I need I need something to cause me to have less free time because I have so much of it now. <laughs> anyway, back to the brute. Yeah, what'd you think? Well, considering I just <laughs> read the book as we were going through it, as you were synopsizing it, I've been, uh, I, it's, it's got that scary feel. This, uh, well, it's got the approved by the comics code, so this wasn't, it's not like it's a EC book, you know, I mean, and I thought it was kind of gruesome there with some of the, a couple of gruesome deaths with the yeah. three people being slammed against the wall, the one kid getting a boulder on him. Well, you don't see it, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, he was boulderized. The boulder. Sorry, I was doing something from Avatar. Okay. The, car- the cartoon. Okay. I'm, a, I'm, I'm out there tonight. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> But, but somebody, I, I, somebody out there got that reference. And to you, thank you. You mean to you, you're welcome. <laughs> to, no, thank you for getting my reference. Okay. I thought you. I just figured if they got it, that you'd be happy that they got it, and uh, or that they should be happy that they got it. Uh-huh. That they're sitting there laughing right now while I'm just saying, huh? 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 I keep coming back to the plane with FHI seven. <laughs> They went. At, I mean, they went out of their way. There's no way that that was unintentional. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I can't see. You know, that's like when you're a kid taking the old digital um, calculators and you would type in dirty words. <laughs> you know, or, I would. I would say just to. And then you turn it upside down and say, "See, see." Uh, no. <laughs> just the artwork in this book is a little inconsistent, but overall I think it's much better than I thought it was at first glance. Like, as I give it a closer look, I think it's pretty good. It's got a very creepy feel to it, which I think is the perfect vibe for the book. The worst thing about it is just the sense of the size of the character that that has no consistency at all. Does it explain why he's blue? No, he was in ice for centuries. Yeah, but he was white when he went in. But he turned I mean, blue, he turned blue when he was in there though. But what is he got permanent frostbite? Maybe. Man, that's why he's mad. Man, let me put you in a an ice pot in a couple <laughs> centuries. See if you see if you get your color back. <laughs> I need some sun. 
I, I seem to remember, and I haven't read the other issues in a long time, but I seem to remember them turning this into kind of a Hulk-type series, where he's the mm. hounded monster, but he also ends up fighting supervillains. The hounded, misunderstood monster that kills most people he runs into. Yeah, that's the one thing about it that, that I didn't recall and threw me off a little bit. Is I didn't rec- I didn't, you wouldn't think that they would make the star of the book an actual killer. I mean, he kills four, five people. Well, two no. kids. He kills two, two kids, kids. The cameraman and the, cameraman. And the dad. And the de- so he kills four people. You know, it's hard to have a redeem. I mean, yeah, I guess you you could go with a misunderstood creature, but the first two guys, they you know, they just ran into him and he just killed him. I mean, I, he is a caveman, but you know, on page thirteen, you feel sorry for him as he's uh, crying from the tear gas. <laughs> My right, eyes. right until he whams the cameraman against the wall. <laughs> I wham. I just, I'm thinking, you know, like they're sitting there having their little meeting beforehand trying to figure out what to do. And then he's going to kill this guy. Well, how should he kill that one? Well, he throws him against the wall. Okay. And then later on, he's going to kill this guy. How should he do that one? Eh, Let's go back to the throw him against the wall thing. (laughs) All right. So now we're in the prison and the dad came in. What do you think? You want to have him snap the neck? No, no. Have him throw him against the wall. Well, and then also on page 13, it's the, uh, it's the announcer's fault that the cameraman dies. Hold on. Hold tight, folks. We're going to see if we can get you a spectacular close-up of the brute. Come on, Charlie. Poor Charlie. <laughs> the cop. You stupid fool. Stay back. Ah! <laughs> I, yeah. don't, I don't know where else to go with this one. The judge is, uh, I don't know. The doctor looks strange like, looking, uh, dude. I'm trying to think of who, like, this time frame. The book was came out in 75. The doctor, that's um, Dr. Turner, does that look like maybe Mia Farrow or something with the short little, hair? A little, little bit of a Rosemary's Baby Mia Farrow going. Yeah. And then then, then the dad, I just he's like a crazy older looking Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, that's, mustache. that's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, he looks definitely too old, though, though to be the par- the father of those kids. Well, you never know. He's a late in life dad. He's a late in life dad. You know, he was probably our age when uh, uh, he had his kid because his kids were in like in their 20s. He looks like he's in his 60s, you know. So, I mean, it it could be. Was an oops. I I assume the kids are teenagers, Mm. even though they do look a little older in the uh, shots. Well, you know, they are walking around caves in the middle of nowhere. So. All right, Dad. We'll be back later. We're going spelunking. Spelunking. The hobby of death. <laughs> and it's sanity. And then they hear the sound, and like all stupid people, they continue to go forward. What's that? Yeah, Jimmy, stop being a coward. <laughs> well, you know, once when I was a kid. Is this a real life segment? Yeah, it is. Well then, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for Real Life with Dr. Bill Robinson. So, when I was, oh, I lived in Virginia in the country when I was mm, probably between the age of six to, well, maybe seven to nine. And uh, up in the woods by our house, we, we, we came upon a, a, like, something that was like a cave. And we heard a noise in there, me and one of my other little friends. And uh, did we go in the cave? No, we ran like hell and got down out of there. 
Because <laughs> we were thinking, it's a bear! It's something! Run! Nah, didn't even go in. No, not even going in there. So, obviously, younger kids are a lot smarter than uh, teenagers. I would... Or at least certainly comic book teenagers. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's all I got to say about that. Now, do you see on page five when they show the one surviving brother running away? Yeah. That, yeah, looks, what, what, that looks to me like a Carmine Infantino drawing. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying on that? What, with like, with like the way, um... the, the whole, just the whole composition of the picture, the way the face looks, the way the hair looks. To me, that looks like a drawing that Carmine Infantino drew. Somewhat. I mean, the eyes don't don't have the, uh, you know, his eyes usually had a more distinct look, look to them. But yeah, yeah, somewhat. Yeah, I see that. I like these. Uh, I like these caveman drawings. Yeah, holy mammoths and volcanoes and. And and there is unlike the last book where I had problems with the backgrounds, this one seems to have some pretty good detail in the backgrounds. Yeah, what have they got? Like eight, nine guys trying to fight one wool, woolly mammoth, well, and it's green. <laughs> it's not easy to take down Ray Romano. <laughs> and it looks like he took out quite a few of them actually. Now and then when when. Uh, Larry wakes up and he starts screaming. I mean, he, he looks really freaky in that shot. And again, he's got the red eyes. Yeah. Help, help, run, Timmy, run for your life. Run, Ken. Yeah. E- Not- Easy, Larry. I'm Dr. Freaky. Oh, he's got to have an accent. <laughs> he's got to have like a Bella Lugosi accent. Easy, Larry. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You're safe. Now you're in a hospital. You know nothing can hurt you here. Don't you? Now, now, if you'll all leave the room, blah blah. Larry, Larry and I would like to be alone for just a moment. <laughs> well, hold on, Doc. Let me just check and see if there's been any complaints about you first, because you're a freaky-looking dude. Hey, Doc. Uh, we we got another shortage in the blood bank. I don't know what's going on around here. I but, don't know what you mean. I think the artwork in this definitely has that creepy horror movie feel to it, though. Yeah. I'm trying to think, there was another thing I saw here later at the end, like that I thought was weird. Well, and, and what's her name, Doctor Turner? You, you said the uh, what's it called Mia Farrell look. She also has a little bit of a Janet Lee look. Oh yes, yes. She's got some some of these pictures. What, what is she using? Like super mascara <laughs> and super lipstick too. Like on uh, page twenty at the end, where the where the Judge is wagging his finger in her. I mean, she, like her eyelashes go up almost to her freaking eyebrow, mm. and she's got the heavy, the heavy lipstick. And uh, and what's with the like, the town sheriff has got the pipe there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we've I think we've picked this five H one seven apart. Well, yeah, the five H one seven. But just uh, on the my last note on this thing is on the last page. Uh, middle, middle right panel. Uh, the deputy who's on the left of the shot. He looks looks to me like Forrest Tucker playing uh, <laughs> Sergeant O'Rourke from from F Troop. Yes. <laughs> Where's Larry Storch? <laughs> He's flying a plane. Corporal Agarn. God, right. now you got me on an F Troop tangent. 
<laughs> it is balloon. <laughs> what a hakawi. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsen.com and is a registered trademark of Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.